This program is brought to you by Preserve Gold, the number one precious metals IRA provider. Call 855-962-3322. Viral trends with deadly consequences. TikTok is facing a slew of lawsuits after multiple deaths linked to challenges on the app. Grieving parents with a warning to other families with the hope of preventing more tragedies. TikTok, meanwhile, pushing back following the congressional hearing, stating safety is a priority. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Death by TikTok. A 13-year-old boy from Ohio is dead. That's after he overdosed on a common allergy medication when he participated in a so-called TikTok challenge. His family said he took 12 to 14 Benadryl tablets. That's more than six times the recommended dosage. The TikTok challenge suggested taking that amount could lead to hallucinations. But after filming himself taking that amount on camera, the boy started having seizures and was rushed to the emergency room. There, he was pronounced brain dead. The boy's father sharing on a GoFundMe, that's when the family decided to take him off life support. The father writing on the GoFundMe, I ask for your help so that we can have a proper funeral and send-off for this young man. He's not the only one. TikTok has come under fire after multiple deaths. Bloomberg reporting the TikTok algorithm continues to push suicide videos on Chase Nasca's page. That's despite the 16-year-old killing himself the year before. Chase's mom, desperate for answers, started checking his social media. On TikTok, she saw the terms he had searched, Batman, basketball, and motivational speeches. But what the algorithm served up was something else, depression, hopelessness, and death. Scrolling for an hour on his For You feed, she didn't understand why there were no funny videos. Where were the jokes and dance videos she had heard about? One after another, she saw videos of breakups, suicide, and depression. And how is TikTok responding to these issues? Here's what the company's CEO, Suji Chu, had to say last month before Congress. We're going to prioritize safety, particularly for teenagers, and we're going to keep it a top priority for us. When pressed for a yes or no answer, he seemed reluctant to give one. Last year, a federal judge in Pennsylvania found that Section 230 protected TikTok from being held responsible for the death of a 10-year-old girl who participated in a blackout challenge, also known as the choking challenge. TikTok actively pushes video on her feed. Unfortunately, this is one of the many devastating examples of children losing their lives because of content promoted by TikTok. <clears throat> Congressman, as a father myself, when I hear about the tragic deaths of my young people, is, you, it's heartbreaking. Do you find that good faith moderation? Well, Congressman, uh, Section 230 is a very complex okay, I'm, issue. I'm, you know, yes or no? I, we are very focused on safety, and okay, all these I'm, dangerous I'm, I'm challenges are that as moving. No. We find More than half of U.S. states have banned TikTok on governmental devices. Among them, Montana is the first and only state right now trying to implement a complete ban on the Chinese-owned app in the whole state. An American company slapped with a $300 million fine. That's punishment for doing business with Huawei, a Chinese telecom gear company on the U.S. blacklist. 
Data storage company Seagate will pay the fine for violating U.S. export control laws. The company shipped over $1 billion worth of hard drives to Huawei. Here are the details. California-based Seagate Technology has agreed to pay a $300 million fine in a settlement with the Commerce Department. The data storage company shipped over 7 million hard drives worth more than a billion dollars to Chinese telecom giant Huawei. Huawei was placed on a U.S. trade blacklist in 2019 due to national security concerns. A rule in August 2020 further restricted sales of certain foreign items made with U.S. technology to Huawei. The Commerce Department said Seagate was Huawei's sole supplier of hard drives during a one-year period ending in September 2021. The department also noted that this was the largest penalty it ever announced, not tied to a criminal case. The department said its competitors had stopped selling to them. Seagate continued sending hard disk drives to Huawei. Today's action is the consequence. Seagate maintains their foreign-made drives were not subject to U.S. export regulations. The company's CEO addressed the issue, saying, While we believed we complied with all relevant export control laws at the time we made the hard disk drive sales at issue, we determined that settling this matter was the best course of action. Weapons makers are ramping up production for a certain type of projectile, artillery shells. The U.S. Army is investing nearly $1.5 billion to expand production as it looks to triple output in five years. The move would benefit Ukraine in its fight against Russia and help U.S. troops in a potential conflict with China. Here's Entities Cost Temines with more. A historic factory in Scranton, Pennsylvania is one of the most important producers of munitions for the war in Ukraine. There, tons of steel rods are forged into 155mm shells by a team of robots. People oversee the shell production and perform periodic quality control inspections. The production of the 155mm has many uh, production processes to it. And, you know, we start with receiving steel in 20-foot bars. Uh, they weigh about 2,000 pounds. We cut those bars into billets. We heat it. We forge it. We machine it. We phosphate it. We paint it, we ship it. It is one of only two sites that produce shells of this kind in the U.S. Shells are produced not only to support Ukraine, but to be ready for a potential conflict with China. The Army aims to expand production of the shells from 14,000 to 24,000 per month later this year. Behind me is a finished product. Uh, it's painted OD green, weighs approximately 77 pounds. That's just the steel shell itself. This shell will be, uh, it's waiting uh, to be shipped to the Iowa Army Ammunition Plant where it will be loaded, assembled and packed. The Ukrainian Army is firing around 1,000 of the artillery rounds daily. Since the start of the conflict, the U.S. military has provided Ukraine with more than 1 million rounds of ammunition. Cost MNS, NTD News. An update from U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai. She's repeating that Washington is not seeking to decouple from China's economy. Tai noted that all members of President Joe Biden's administration have been very clear that decoupling is not the goal. We have all experienced the fragility of our dispersed supply chains in recent years, especially through the pandemic and Russia's brutal, unjustified attack on Ukraine. And we've become too reliant, we have discovered, on certain countries for the supply of critical minerals needed to fuel our clean energy future. 
In light of that, she says a recent critical minerals agreement with Japan will strengthen resilience and security for both nations. That deal will allow electric vehicles using metals sourced or processed in Japan to qualify for tax breaks under the Inflation Reduction Act. The top U.S. trade envoy is in Tokyo this week. The visits follows the setup of a joint U.S.-Japan task force. It aims to eliminate human rights violations in international supply chains and ban the use of materials from suppliers that subject their workers to inhumane conditions. Tai also gave an update on Indo-Pacific Economic Framework trade negotiations Thursday. I think that one of the most important aspects of the work and the program that the United States is bringing, not just to our bilateral relationship with Japan, but also in the region, um, in the Indo-Pacific, Asia-Pacific region, uh, is to focus on where we have shared interests, where we have shared concerns, where we see shared challenges. Talks on the project began last year. It's Washington's first major pan-Asian trade engagement effort in nearly a decade. The framework has 13 members, including the U.S., Australia, India, Japan, and South Korea. Together, the 13 account for 40 percent of global gross domestic product. The U.S. has stepped up diplomacy across the region, in part to help counter Chinese influence. The race for surveillance tech has hit outer space, but with spy balloons making headlines, spy satellites are flying under the radar. That's as the U.S., China, Russia and North Korea compete to boost their satellite numbers. Here's more. On Tuesday, the U.S. National Reconnaissance Office said it hopes to quadruple the number of satellites it has in orbit within the next 10 years. That's to make sure that the U.S. can stay ahead of the world event in an effort to enhance the safety and security of the world and the nation. The United States currently operates the world's largest and most technologically advanced surveillance satellites. North Korea, on the same token, is also planning on expanding its surveillance spacecraft production. On Wednesday, leader Kim Jong-un ordered officials to launch the nation's first military spy satellites. It was deployed to counter what Kim called threats from the U.S. and South Korea. North Korea in December conducted what it called an important final phase test for a spy satellite and said it would complete preparations for launch by April. Despite numerous attempts, all of the country's past launches were only able to collect low-resolution images. But what about other U.S. adversaries? Just last year, the Pentagon reported that China has almost doubled its spy satellite platforms in the last four years. The nation operates 260 of them, second only to the U.S. Russia, on the other hand, has 108 military satellites in hand. That's at the end of 2022. Beijing is growing its nuclear arsenal at the cost of the world and itself. That's the latest warning from the leader of the globe's largest military alliance. Jens Stoltenberg accuses the regime of neither cooperating with international norms nor being honest about its nuclear expansion. China is rapidly growing its nuclear arsenal without any transparency about its capabilities. NATO head Jens Stoltenberg made the comment Tuesday at a conference in Washington. He noted, like other dictatorships, China seeks to destabilize the international community through nuclear proliferation. He called on NATO to counter that threat and bring Beijing to the negotiating table. In the longer term, we need to rethink and adapt our approach to a more dangerous and competitive world. And this means engaging with China. The Chinese Communist Party has long stayed out of arm control negotiations. The regime already feels more intercontinental ballistic missiles launchers than the U.S. By 2035, its warhead stockpile will reach up to 1,500. At the same event, U.S. Deputy Secretary of State Wendy Sherman said Washington doesn't seek conflict. 
but is wary of Beijing's ambition to shift the world order. Where China's concerned, there's no question, as the United States has said, that it is the only country with the capability to change the rules-based international order, which we believe Xi Jinping intends to do. She added that new technologies like artificial intelligence are heightening the threat of CCP. With China doubling down on its nuclear expansion, the nation's warhead stockpile has surpassed 400. The U.S., on the other hand, currently holds the second largest stockpile in the world, next to Russia. As of earlier this year, Washington reportedly had over 5,400 nuclear arsenals in its inventory. That's as the nation slowly dismantles its warhead supply. A cooperative strategic partnership. That's what China wants to establish with an ally in Africa, the country of Gabon. But is the communist regime taking aim at Gabon's uranium resources? On Wednesday, Chinese leader Xi Jinping met with the Gabonese president in Beijing, seeking to further deepen cooperation. During the meeting, Xi called for upgrading bilateral ties between the two countries, aiming to take it one step further from their current partnership. Diplomatic relations between them date back to 1960. In 2022, trade between China and Gabon rose to $4.55 billion, an over 50 percent increase. Beijing is also asking Gabon to take part in its Belt and Road Initiative, China's multi-trillion dollar infrastructure outreach project. It's known to act as a tool for the communist regime to spread its influence and gain control overseas. Worth noting, Gabon is home to a rich deposit of uranium, a radioactive element used to fuel nuclear power. As of now, China aims to become self-sufficient with its nuclear production. But to make ends meet, the nation still has to obtain one-third of its uranium from foreign suppliers. Last year, a Pentagon report revealed that Beijing is boosting its nuclear expansion, all in an effort to counter Washington. More than shocking, that's the German foreign minister's most recent description of China. Speaking to the German parliament on Wednesday, the foreign minister said China is becoming what she called a systemic rival, more so than a trade partner and competitor. The remark came just after a trip to Beijing, where she warned that any attempt by China to control Taiwan would be unacceptable. For years, the Chinese Communist Party has seen the democratically governed island as its own territory, despite never having ruled it. The foreign minister also urged China to use its influence to help end the Ukrainian war. On Tuesday, another European politician sent out a warning to Beijing. The head of the European Union, Ursula von der Leyen, said the EU has consistently called for peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait and stands strongly against any unilateral change of the status quo, in particular by the use of force. She made the remark while addressing members of the European Parliament. Her comments distanced the EU from French President Emmanuel Macron's recent statement. Both of them visited China at almost the same time earlier this month. Macron warned Europe not to get involved in the Taiwan issue. Von der Leyen also added, China has now turned the page on the era of reform and opening and is moving into a new era of security and control. Coming up, is Chinese-owned TikTok on the path toward a full U.S. ban? The company's lobbyists are now targeting high-level politicians on both sides of the aisle. That's as a major question looms. Could selling the company be the solution? Rex Lee, cybersecurity advisor at MySmart Privacy, breaks down what's happening. 
His take in just a minute, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. How likely is a nationwide TikTok ban after the company's CEO spoke before Congress? And with lobbyists targeting high-level politicians on both sides of the aisle, would selling the company save its U.S. access? We spoke to Rex Lee, cybersecurity advisor at MySmart Privacy, for his take. Rex Lee, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Tiffany, thank you for having me on. Recently, TikTok was in the headlines a lot. There was this congressional hearing with the TikTok CEO, and you've actually participated in four congressional hearings in regards to big tech over the years. So with this one, do you actually see TikTok getting banned down the road? No, un- unfortunately, um, you know, I-, I don't see really any any actions coming from congressional hearings. And I'll, and I'll tell you why. There's actually been over 30 congressional hearings centered on uh, big tech and nefarious business practices, whether it's surveillance and data mining business practices, the use of addictive and harmful technology, which we saw during the Instagram, Facebook uh, whistleblower hearings with Francis Hagen. I was actually uh, an advisor to Senator Blackburn's office for that congressional hearing. And typically what happens with these uh, congressional hearings, and I I actually stopped participating. I'm not gonna advise anymore because typically what I find out about these congressional hearings they're more about politics than resolve. Uh, so what we what we see is a, a political theater, um, and uh, and we we see these uh, executives go before Congress. Um, half the uh, half the uh, politicians in the congressional hearings are um, uh, addressing the real problems. The other half aren't, and they never seem to come to full resolution. You know, one one good thing about this last uh, TikTok congressional hearing is there was a lot of bipartisan support to ban it, which which is a positive uh, a positive thing. But then here we are, um, two or three weeks later, and there there's no action being taken, and you have to ask yourself why. Well, a lot of people don't realize this, but over 30 members of the House and Senate are on TikTok, including the president. It was just in the news the other day that the Biden administration had. Um, uh, TikTok influencers, along with Instagram and Facebook influencers, uh, at the White House uh, to to uh, to spread uh, information about the Biden administration's uh, platform um, uh, across these social media platforms. So when you have congressional here, when you have congressional members uh, of Congress and the Senate utilizing TikTok as well as the president, uh, I don't see how it's going to get. I, I don't see how it's going to get banned anytime soon. And Rex, you brought up this like little army of influencers on TikTok. And what would it actually take to get this app banned? Uh, it, it would. It, I, I really believe that um, you know TikTok is no different than uh, Instagram or Facebook. All these platforms are built on surveillance and data mining because the companies that uh, that uh, develop these platforms are in the information trafficking business. Uh, and uh, that's how they make their money. They make their money off of the information they can collect from their end users on these platforms. Unfortunately, um, these platforms can be weaponized by governments. We've seen this um, um, time and time again, where social media is being used to disrupt elections and so forth all over the world, even in the United States. And it's not just 
on TikTok. It's all social media platforms. And uh, I think the only way to really address this problem is to address the money aspect of this problem. Um, and uh, and there's, there's two things going on that need to be addressed. The first thing is surveillance and data mining business practices rooted in surveillance capitalism. I think there needs to be laws uh, that um, um, address this. I think we need updated privacy laws uh, and to put the control back into the end user's hands of whether they want to, their data to be monetized or not. And I think if you, you, you start to cut the money off uh, in that area, that will have an impact, as well as I believe that uh, the lobbying, the tech lobbying needs to be uh, uh, addressed as well. It's not just U.S. Uh, uh, tech lobbyists that we're talking about. We're talking about uh, companies from foreign nations, including China and Russia, that are able to lobby our Congress. And uh, we've, we've done uh, interviews based on uh, uh, ByteDance's lobbying efforts. Uh, and and uh, they're not a benign company. Uh, they're beholden to the CCP and they're enabled to hire powerful K Street law firms like American Continental Group. And it's not just um, uh, ByteDance. Huawei recently hired Tony Podesta, uh, John Podesta's uh, brother, to, to lobby. So you have these powerful lobbyists. Uh, another lobbyist is David Urban, who's a former presidential advisor like uh, Tony Podesta, um, uh, was a Democrat presidential advisor. Um, David Urban is a Republican. So they're hiring both um, advisors from both parties. And they're not just going after um, the average uh, uh, lobbyist who may be a former member of Congress. They're going after presidential advisors and they're using them to influence uh, our laws. And some of those bills that they're influencing are centered on the DOD uh, like um, uh, the National uh, Defense Authorization Act, um, as well as DHS and Supreme Court uh, bills, and even consumer privacy and protection uh, laws are being uh, influenced by these companies. And Rex, you mentioned how ByteDance, or TikTok's parent company, is beholden to the CCP. And earlier you mentioned that, you know, when it comes to TikTok and Instagram and Facebook, they're very similar <laughs> in terms of you know data collection but are they really the same or because it seems in terms of this TikTok hearing one of the concerns is the ties with ByteDance and to China so should TikTok just be treated the same as Instagram what are the maybe differences here no you know again the 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 company itself is a problem so even if they force a sell you know one of the things that may be that may uh, uh, happen uh, regarding the recent congressional hearing is the fact that uh, the uh, TikTok in North America may be sold. So when these companies say they sell to somebody else, that doesn't mean that they're, 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 the ties are cut completely because you can have members uh, from the original company that, the, that, that sold the company on the board of the new company and, uh, and still have those ties. Um, uh, the other issue is that, that needs to be addressed is the addictive technology, which is California, is uh, addressing that. So even if it gets sold to Microsoft or Oracle and you can somehow cut ties off to China, it doesn't mean that the, the privacy, uh, security and safety threats still aren't there. Uh, and, and that's due to the fact that these are surveillance and data mining business. Uh, these are surveillance and data mining uh, platforms that utilize applications as social media. 
and they're baked with addictive technology. So that that's still going to take place, and those end users are still going to be giving up their information, and they're still going to be addicted to these platforms and harmed in in some ways. And people say, well, how are people being harmed? Well, if you've seen the Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma, uh, you'll understand that uh, the rate of uh, depression, anxiety, um, self-harm, and suicidal thoughts uh, have have risen double digits since 2011. And why is that important? Because that's when social media proliferated to mobile devices such as smartphones and kids and social media end users uh, have access 24 by 7, 365 days a year. So naturally those numbers are gonna go up. So though that also still needs to be addressed um, as well. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.